Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Hosea. It's in the back. So if you don't know where you're going, first of all, you really got to know how to navigate your Bible. You know why? Because if you want to hear God, you got to open up this book. There's a lot of people who say, I heard from God. It might have been the food that you ate at 10 o'clock at night. I'm just being honest. Uh, it's not always a guarantee. I've heard a lot of people tell me a lot of things. I know God tells me this and he tells me that. And I'm like, man, but I can show you five scriptures that doesn't align with what you're telling me. So I'm telling you that I don't think you're right. You know, that's hard to tell somebody when they believe what they're saying. So open up your Bibles to Hosea. If you look in the directory, it's going to tell you where it's at. Everybody's got a different number that's attached to it. So in mine, it would be uh 1394 so look in the middle of the bible and start to work your way toward the front okay who's got it anybody got to raise your hands once y'all got it because i want you to read it with me because once again this is going to be one of those places where you're like wow that's in the bible let me tell you something when i first started reading the bible i had no idea i had no idea I thought for sure, I'm like, this is a holy book. I'm never going to get it. doesn't make sense. It's written 2,000 years ago. I'm not going to get it. Man, it hit like a, man, like a powerful left hook. And it made sense in a way that I was like, wow, I, I, never, I never felt like that before because God was really revealing truth to me. And I had never seen truth before. Um, so let me, let me find it. I have it here. I'm lost. T talking too much. So as we're looking for this, as I'm looking for this, let's pray together. Father God, um, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. There's a lot of things that I get overwhelmed about in this text. And one of the great things that I'm always overwhelmed in is that when you call someone, you don't call to them like you call. You call the people because you see a certain skill. You see a certain thing in them inside of you. You say, hey, man, that's what we need kind of get this to go in the right direction i don't think you ever do that <laughs> i don't think you look to us and say hmm i really want to get that guy on the team because i think you know they're going to get us in the he's going to get us in the right direction the truth of the matter is you you can do anything you want and you don't need my help to accomplish it you don't need any of my help but i do know this also as well as i open up your word as we open up your word with the power of the holy spirit i know that you're a father who calls his children to himself and when you open up our eyes to that and you you kind of open the door to the relationship that you want with us uh, you pull us into uh, a family business lord god we want to be a part of the family business not your partners but your children we want to be your children but we need for you to preach to us today, Lord God. We need to hear your voice because at the end of the day, it's only your voice that can make an impact. It's only your life that can transform our lives. So we pray this with one heart and one mind in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Hosea chapter 1. Hosea starts off this way. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Giri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah the kings of Judah, during the reign of Jeroboam, the sons of Johash, king of Israel. So 
What we have is a divided kingdom, north and south. Why? Because guess what? When you decide to do things your way, God says, I'll let you do things your way, and I'll let you have a divided life. That's not good. It's never good. Never good. Verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, not to. That's the only prophet in the world where he says the Lord began to speak through Hosea. So when he does that, we got to start paying attention. He says this, the Lord said to him, go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. What? I'm going to read it again. Go take for yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land that is his land is guilty of the vilest adulteries in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Giblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord says to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the master massacre at Jezreel. And he will put an end, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. I want you to get this as well, because there's a divided kingdom. One side has decided to create a relationship with their God based on what they say. They're like, hey, listen, I got no problem being in a relationship with you, God, but I'm going to kind of create the rules. I'm going to make it where I want to be. I'm going to kind of set it up to kind of work with my life other than the way you kind of dictate it for me. God says, okay, I'm going to let you do that for a little while to see the error of your ways. But then there comes a time where God says, no, no more. And, and then he says, in here, he goes, I'm going to destroy you. And can I tell you something? To this very day, there is no northern Israel. He destroyed the entire group of people, literally scattered them throughout the globe. Are they lost? No, I don't believe so. They're still around. But I'm telling you, they paid a bad, bad, bad price. Uh, because the land is guilty of the vilest adulteries and departing from the Lord. So he married Go Gomer, uh, the, the water of Gibeon, and she conceived and born a son. Uh, and she called him Jezreel, that was her first son, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to is the kingdom of Israel in that day. And I will break Israel's bow in the land of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again, another son. She get, No, I'm sorry, it's a daughter. Give birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ramah, for I will no longer... Once again, you're like, no way, God doesn't say this stuff. He says, lo, I will no longer show love to the house of Israel. That's a, that's a uh, hyperbolic teaching. Does that mean he doesn't love his people? No, that means uh, the time for the reaping of seeds has now come to their life. You know, I just want to say this. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, you know, Galatians tells me very clearly, if I sow to please my flesh, I'm going to reap what I've sown. There comes a time, whether I'm a believer in Christ or not, whether I'm going to spend eternity or not with him, there comes a time where he's like, hey, listen, I've told you, I've given you everything you need. You're going in the wrong direction. You're sowing in the wrong direction. Those seeds are going to come up. And when they come up, the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us, I'm going to force you to eat everything you planted. There's going to be no running. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, but by the horses, uh, not by horses or, or uh, horsemen, but by the Lord their God. 
After that, she weaned Lo-Ramah. Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is a formal divorce decree. You're like, well, how could God divorce his people? He didn't. They were foreseen for divorce from him. They're like, man, I don't want to be married to you no more. And you know what God said? Don't do this. 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 And they're like, man, I just want out. And he finally says, okay, here it is. Here's the divorce decree. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured nor counted in this place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called the sons of the living God. Nothing changed in his decision toward them. The only thing that changed was their decision toward God. You see what's the difference is? God's like, you're my people. You want a divorce, I'll give you the divorce. But for me, nothing changes. You, however, it does change. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be united at some point, and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers and your sisters, uh, the ones whom I love. Say this to them. This is the word of the Lord. I'm sorry if I kind of rushed it, if you didn't understand, but we're going to get it. We're going to get all these points out. What we're looking for is we're looking for Jesus to preach to us today. Jesus preaches throughout the entire Old Testament. There's nothing different. There's nothing new. Some people go, well, you know, it's all repetitive in the Bible. Well, can I tell you something? There's about five or six themes that are constantly told over and over and over. Once I started reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit came in. First of all, before the Holy Spirit, I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. I didn't get it. I was like, man, this is confusing. Once I got the Holy Spirit, I started to see, well, wait a minute. This really sounds like something Jesus said in the Gospels. You know, so it's kind of very, it's very repetitive. He tells us in more vivid illustration, he kinds of, he, he takes a subject matter and he kind of walks around it so we see it in its fullness. I want to read for you the lyrics of a song that I used to, um, that I used to, I mean, I'm telling you, when I got saved, man, I had so much guilt, so much shame, so much brokenness, and, uh, I was just overwhelmed with just crazy, crazy, bad thoughts of guilt and shame and uh, feelings of worthlessness. Still struggle with that to this very day. Um, And God used to speak heavily to me through lyrics of songs. Not every song, uh, because not every song, even though it says it's Christian, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But this one was, and it's called The Scandal of Grace. Grace, what have you done? You've been murdered for me on that cross accused in absence of wrong my sin washed away in your blood too much to make sense of it all i know that your love breaks my fall the scandal of grace you died in my place so my soul will live now oh to be like you to give all i have just to know you jesus there's no one beside you forever you're the hope in my heart death where's your sting your powers as dead as my sin the cross has taught me to live your mercy my heart now to sing The day and its trouble, it's going to come. I know that your strength is enough. The scandal of grace, you died in my place so my soul will live. And over and over he just says, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. That's the power of grace. That's the power of grace. So let's look at the context of what we just read. Israel believes that they are in a bad marriage. Anyone who's been in a bad marriage knows that they're in a bad marriage, usually probably 10 years prior to the point that they finally leave, right? That's the way it works. So Israel thinks they're in a bad marriage. They are disillusioned with their relationship with God. They look at their neighbors to the left and to the right, and they see 
that their lives of the neighbors seem to be much more attractive than the life that they are living. Isn't that the truth of just life in general? If you just kind of like listen to your own flesh, you always kind of look at someone else's life and you go, man, I wish I kind of had that. You know what I mean? Why don't I have this? I remember one time, quick story, uh, quick story. Uh, so I remember this guy bought a house next to me, put another giant house on his house, right? I was like, okay, cool for him. That's great. And then this other guy pulls down, pulls down three quarters of his building and builds a bigger house. And there's this big house here and a big house here. And there's my tiny condo in the middle. And I pull up and it was like right in the beginning of winter. And I'm trying hard to not fit in at work because I'm now a believer in Christ. And you know what? I look and I go, <laughs> I start laughing. I go, man, you got a, quite a sense of humor, bro. And me and him just had it right there. Very serious conversation. I go, I serve you. I love you. These guys, they don't even know you're on the radar. Look at their houses. And I can tell you what he said. He said, what's it to you? I was like, so I just listen. When I hear God, I know it's his voice. He goes, what's it to you? And then he said to me, what if this is all I give them? Did I cheat you or did they lose out? And I realized, man, <laughs> you could have a big house, but if you lose your soul, you're in big trouble. And God had mercy on me. And he didn't, because was I less of a sinner than this guy or that guy? No, I'm going to tell you the truth. I might have been worse of a sinner. So God really kind of talked to me in that way. So Israel looks at their neighbors. They looks at their lives, and it seems to be much more attractive. The nations around Israel had small GODs who seemed to be okay with a more casual relationship with their people. At the end of the day, that's what we really want. We want a casual relationship with God where we kind of call it out. Well, I'm willing to do this, but not this. I'll give you that, but I'm not going to give you this. You want that. You know why? It's just natural, man. It's just human nature. We want to call the shots because we're afraid. We're afraid when you enter into a relationship with God, you're quite afraid that he's going to take all from you. You're going to have nothing, and you're going to be miserable from it. Can I tell you something? God's not interested in a casual relationship. I said it before. I'll say it again. Just like Jesus said, you have nothing apart from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means you've got no truth, you've got no life, and you've got no light apart from me. That means you're in darkness, lost, and you are alone without hope. Man, that's a very serious statement. The people had a relationship with God's who you brought a sacrifice to, and they would bless your crops. They would bless your businesses, your investments, your plans. They would even allow for you to have relationships with other gods. They're like, it's cool. God says, hey, listen, I understand your brokenness. I understand your frailty. But one thing that I have a problem with over all those things is when you are married to me and you step out with another. And can I tell you something? I remember one time I was with the youth for seven years, and this girl goes, Man, Pastor Tom, I, I, mean, I, I got to tell you, I feel like it's kind of petty to say that God is jealous. And I said, do you want to get married? And she goes, yeah, I do want to get married. I go, what if your husband, right before you got married, said, hey, listen, I love you, but you know what, though? I'm just telling you this. One day out of the month, I'm going to go and hang out with a girl that I like. And I might stay over there during the weekend. Are you cool with that? And she goes, no, I'm not cool with that. I go, that's the way Jesus is. That's the way God is. He's like, hey, listen, don't tell me you're going to be with me 29 days of the month and then go hang out with your girlfriend once in a while or just a part-time. He goes, it's either me or them. 
But you got to choose. And God will force it. He kind of forces this decision. But those gods, they were like, hey, man, it's cool. You bring your sacrifice, and at the end of the day, I'm here to bless you anyways. At the end of the day, the foreign gods allowed for the people who worship them to keep the deeds of ownership to their lives. God says, your life ain't your life. And he makes no apologies for it. He says, the only reason you got air in your lungs is because I gave you lungs and the air to breathe. Worship is not something that's uh, arbitrary in life. You were made to worship, and you're going to worship me. And if you don't, you're going to worship something else, and it's going to make your life miserable to do so. Kind of sounds really threatening. You know why? Because it is. (laughs) It is threatening. We live in a world that is addicted to self. Let me just say this. Israel didn't know the way the life that they desired, the foreign gods that they thought that they could worship, offered them, they thought it offered them freedom, but really what it got them was addicted. You know what? Can I tell you something? You take anything in your life and you pursue it apart from grace. You take it and you remove it from your relationship with it. You put on your own value. I don't care what it is, even your own kids. I'm telling you, you know what you will find? That it will make you a slave. It will make you a slave. It will make you an addict. The world that we live in is addicted to self, and it has always been the same way. When I read the Bible, I started listening to this, and I was like, wow, even though this is a 2,000-year-old book, things are different. Human beings ain't changed that much. Every nation had their own gods, and these gods usually promised something like success. They, They offered ease. They offered comfort. They offered pleasure. But not so with Israelites' gods. God wanted his people to be successful, but he held back from them too much success. So you think to yourself, why would he do that? I'll tell you why. Because he knew that success had the power to twist our hearts. Can I tell you something? If you find a pursuit, I find a pursuit, anything that gives us rewards, makes our life richer, gives us the ability to do things we never had before, I guarantee you there will be a struggle in your heart. When God says, I want you here, but you have the ability to be here so you can make more of this, so you can do more of that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will hear two voices in your head. God knew. He's like, I want my people to be successful, but there's a certain success, and if you get too much of it, what it's really going to do, it's going to make you chase after that. That's where Israel was. They're like, man, I want to be like the nations around me. I just want to be like everybody else. And God's like, Man, you don't want to be like everybody else. Man, you're a light for them to see. Your life is supposed to be a sign pointing to the goodness of relationship with God. And they're like, no, 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 I want all that stuff. And he's like, that stuff isn't pleasure. That stuff isn't treasure. It's actually a corrupting cancer agent. What God is really saying in this book, if Jesus were to teach you, you know what God is saying to his people? The old Lou Rawls song. Who knows Lou Rawls? Remember? It's going to show your age. Lou Rawls used to sing, You'll never find another love like mine. He's saying, You people, you were made for me. You think you're going to find some kind of satisfaction, some kind of fulfillment in other loves? You were made for my love. And when you go to them, you're going to find out that they cheat you. He's saying, I, I'm the one who loves you, and I love you like no one else. And he's going to take them through a process of of self-education 
where they go out into the wilderness and they get lost. Remember how he says, you're going to go, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to let you go. And what you're going to find is you're going to get broken up. But then when the time is right, when you finally learned your lesson, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up your eyes. I'm going to bring you back. I'm never going to run from you again. Israel's God had a different definition of success. It usually involves him saying no or me saying no to the patterns of the world around me. It wasn't about how much that we could amass, the size of our bank accounts, the cars we drove, or the homes that we lived in. It was more about how generous our life was. His idea of success was, how do you love the people around you? See, I'm not interested in you giving them well wishes or superficial words. I want your life to be demonstrated, demonstrating love in life investments. I want your life to really mean what it says. He's like, that's success. And you know what? Everyone who sees it's going to know it. God gave his people ease. God gives his people comfort. God gives his people pleasure. pleasure. But he also allows them to feel pain. He allows them to feel loss. He allows them to feel hunger. He allows them to feel sadness. Why? Because all of those things are necessary. I can't stand when the preacher pulls back the, the pain that's going to be involved, the stress and the trials. Jesus didn't say that. He said, hey, you, you want to follow me? You can expect to be rejected by the world around you, so much so that even your own family members might do it. He goes, if you think that this is about you getting rich or having some huge title, it's not, man. It might be about you losing everything, even your life. But what you gain in me far outweighs whatever it offers you. That's what he says. That's why people don't like to hear the message of Jesus. Because it's too darn threatening. God wants us to have the ease, but you'll know I'm telling the truth. If you get too much ease, it will make you a lazy person. Isn't that true? You get too much ease, it will make you disconnected with the people around you. One of the things that I can't stand about our government, no offense, is they make rules for you and me who live in the trenches, but they themselves never have to live in the trenches. I'm like, who are you to tell me what we should be doing when you don't live there too? Nobody likes that. See, God says, I want my shepherds to live with their sheep. Why? So you're not going to make rules or lead them in places that you yourself are not willing to go. Jesus walked through this world to tell you, I've been with you forever. Man, I didn't just send you down to earth and said, deal with it. He says, I'm here with you. Let's keep moving forward. God offers us as his people comfort, but too much comfort makes the heart self-centered. God wants us to have pleasure but he knows that too much pleasure creates a continual desire for more. It can make the heart very discontented and dissatisfied. I can tell you that was the truth of my life. I chased after stuff that I thought was going to make me. My God was too what God was comfort and it was pleasure. Comfort and pleasure. And pleasure was the big one for me, man. And I chased hard after it. I thought this was going to do it, and this is going to do it, and that's going to do it, and that relationship, and this money, and that's what, and all this stuff. And I swear to you, as hard as I chased it, the more I felt lost and empty. God says that is a well that cannot satisfy the deepest thirst. 
we say, if we say to the woman in Sychar, you've been looking for men to make the difference in your life? You had six of them. Did any of them do it? You were made for me, lady. But you kept looking there. Did he do it to rub her nose at it? He's like, no, no, no. I'm here to prove to you that my love is better. That's, that's where I see Jesus in this message. Israel had made room for these small gods, these foreign gods in their hearts. And once you make room for them and open the door, those gods will inch their way to the center of your life. That's what it does. Even dabbling with these things, even kind of wavering, playing a teeter-totter game with these, the desires of the flesh versus the desires. Man, you're opening, and then once it gets its foot in, before you know it, it says to you, hey, man, I'm going to sit in the center of your life. You could sit with me. We could rule together. And the truth of the matter is you're being, you're being led by a madman. You're being led by a tyrant. Jesus says, I am not a tyrant. I'm a good shepherd. You know how I'm a good shepherd? Because I give my life for my sheep. He said, don't follow people that don't care about you. Don't even follow your own voice that can lead you off a cliff. Once... Those small gods got to the center of their lives. They kept getting more and more of Israel's effort. Now there was a competition for trust between the one true God and the small God of Israel's liking. This was the Israel that Jesus comes to save. Not just 2,000 years ago. Today. You know, there's still Israelites in this world. And I'm not talking about people who were born, born a Jewish people. Israelites, as Paul tells me, are the children of Abraham who hear the voice of their shepherd and they come out from the grave and they say, I think you're calling me. I'm going to put down my nets. I'm going in this direction and I'm, I'm going to come toward you. We who've made the decision, we are the true children of Israel. He's doing the same thing. His gospel has never changed. His work of ministry has never changed. Ever, ever, ever. Hosea is a living parable. He is a vivid demonstration of a double-minded life. I believe, it is my belief, that the main road that God takes to rescue his people is the road of intervention. You know what an intervention is? Who here has ever dealt with an addict in their life or someone who's really kind of off, off the rockers? You know, they just really want to. Sometimes they're so deluded, you got to get people around them that love them, right? And then you kind of trick them. You're like, hey, why don't you come over here for dinner? They walk in, there's five people there, right? And then they sit you down there and like, man, you got to feed them. That's what God does. When Jesus comes, when you read the Gospels, it's an intervention. He's like, I'm here to tell you what I see that you are blinded to. You're in denial right now. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons we have lukewarm responses to Jesus Christ is because very I get converted to God because he's beautiful. I'm like, man, Jesus, how could I not want to love that guy? He's great. But Jesus comes to meet you and he's like, you know how far you are from me. You know how messed up in your head you are sometimes. And you know what? Depending on how moral and self-righteous you are, the more of your strong response to saying, who the heck do you think you are? That's what the Pharisees were. They're like, you to tell me I'm messed up. You know my life. I'm disciplined, man. You know who did hear him, though? The prophets. 
guy. This is the leper. They heard him. They heard him real clear. You know why? Because nobody ever had to convince them they needed him. I remember there was this guy, Frank Sinise. My wife always tells me, don't say names because one day it's going to bite you. But I got saved, man. I couldn't, I had to tell everybody my story. I didn't know exactly how I was going to evangelize, but I just had to tell my story. And I told my story. I'm going to this place to go get some paper signed. And he listens to me. He's very gracious. And he goes, Nick, he goes, man, why is it always, and he uses this word, the worst scumbags that find Jesus in this world? And I was still very fleshly. I still struggle with my flesh now. Scumbag? I can show you how much of a scumbag I am. How about if I choke you in this truck? And, uh, man, I go, wow, I was stunned. I mean, Lord, what did I say? And he gave me the words, and I said to him, I go, Frank, maybe the reason is, is because when I found him, he didn't have to convince me that I was a sinner. I needed to be saved. But Frank needed to be convinced. See, Frank had a good job. He had property, investments. He got his nails done. They were real nice. Mine were dirty. I had stains on me. But he had it all. And he's like, I don't, I mean, I got no problem with Jesus, but this born again stuff is crazy. (sighs) Even John the Baptist uses words, make straight paths for the Lord, and all will see the salvation of God. Do you ever think about what that means? See, so many times we just kind of read over things. What does it mean when you say someone's a straight shooter? That means they're honest, they're straightforward. They kind of tell you with no guile. There's no, like, duplicitous means. You know what John the Baptist is saying? Stop posing in faith. Stop pretending you're something that you and me both know you're not. Get down on your mat. Admit who you are. The, the high grounds, bring it low. Stop pretending you're something you ain't. And the low grounds, the things that you think nobody's seeing, bring it to the surface. Don't say I'll fix it. Just confess it. And if you do that, if you do that, you'll see what? You'll see the salvation of the Lord in a way that will rescue your soul. Man, that is powerful stuff. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14 and 16. My people, listen to me. You cannot heal a wound by saying it is not there. Your prophets and your priests give you assurances of peace when all around you is at war. It is my belief that there are many who are wrongly converted. You know why? Because they see the glory of God. They're drawn to the glory of God. They hear of all the bounty of grace, but they never bow their knee to admit they need to be saved. It's like a partnership. I'll pray a prayer. I'm a partner with God. No, before you can ever be a partner with God, you have to surrender to God. You have to be stripped of Him in completion. It's the poor in spirit who come to Him. You know what the poor in spirit is? The person who looks at their life and says, man, I have no credit in myself for you to even be See, this is different stuff, man. This is really transformative. God calls Hosea to marry a prostitute. Why? Because God is saying to his people and to the world and the generations that will come after, I am spiritually married to a people that are addicted to selling themselves out so that they can satisfy the desires of their own hearts. 
been following the Lord for 25 years. And anyone in God will tell you any form of addictive behavior we look at and we should be like, man, I got to treat this with compassion and mercy. And yes, we should. But addicts cooperate and participate in their own addiction. That's the difference. See, when we say we have a broken heart, it's not like our heart fell off the table by accident and it broke and you're like, oh man, that's terrible. His heart broke. No, no, no. I took a hammer to it. Bam, bam, bam. See, it's only then, by the power of grace, that I can really take a broken heart to the foundation of Christ and go, look what I did to this thing. Human beings are all addicted to their own appetites from the moment they come forth from the womb. You know how I know that's true? Who here has babies? From the moment you have your child, the first words after mama or dada are baby. Am I not right? I used to have a son that I'd take one thing from. He'd be like, ripping his, throwing it out. I'd take it from his hands. He'd find the next one like this. And I remember one time I loved my boy to death. Man, he had all his toys out. Mom goes, hey, clean up your toys before dinner. And he did something. He starts walking in the room. I thought, hey, 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 Jack, what's the door? You hear your mom? He goes, yeah. And I go, why ain't you cleaning? He goes, because I don't want it yet. <laughs> I go, come on, man. Let's clean up your toys. Why? Because human beings are addicted to their own appetites. So what is Jesus preaching to? Three things. Stop trying to navigate around me. I don't care where you are with the Lord. Follow him for 25 years or you've just heard the message for the first time. Stop trying to navigate around him. There's so many people that come on Sunday because they're like, all right, I know this is right. I think it's good, so I'm going to throw this in. And then I'm going to kind of go back to my life as, you know, normal. And he's like, no, stop doing that. Stop doing that. You know what God, Jesus tells us? Accept the fact that you are utterly dependent on my presence. Can I tell you something? If I did that, my day would change from the moment I woke up. It would be utterly different. I wouldn't make God wait to hear my voice an hour. The Bible wouldn't be, well, I'll get to it when I'm not busy. I'm telling you, small groups, life groups, Man, that wouldn't be like, well, man, I can't do that. I'm too far from the building. Man, I think to myself, man, if I don't go there, I could drown. See, this is a lifelong struggle before anyone feels guilty or shame. That's not the point, man. It's not the point. It's a lifelong struggle. That means we're going to fight against that urge to be independent of God forever. Jesus says, I want you to sit at my feet. I want you to sit at my feet. Paul said this, I forget what's behind me and I don't let it weigh me down. I look toward the future. I strive toward what's ahead of me. I don't care what you did last week. I don't care what you did last year. Today is a day before you. Make decisions today and if you fail tomorrow, get back up and move forward. 
understand. God doesn't want us to feel guilt and shame. It gives him no glory. I've got to understand that I'm not God's partner. I'm God's son. Sonship produces something better in me than a work-for-profit relationship. Israel wanted to make partners with anything that would make them rich. And I'm not always talking about money. You know why? Because 99% of the people would always say, I'm not greedy. I have no problem with, I, I'm not, I don't care about money. Just kidding, man. <laughs> this lady, she's not good. Because she's not true. Money's got power. Money's got power. And we got to use it for what it is, keep it in its right place, because if we don't, we can grab a hold. Why do you think out of 44 parables, Jesus speaks 11 on money and the use of wealth? It's, it's 33% of his parables. You know why? Because he's like, I know what you think will make your life good. And it's usually a job, benefits, insurances. These are all good things. Even relationships. They're like, well, relationships are bringing this to me. Can I tell you something? He's like, man, I know what you need. I know what you need. I'll bring to you what you need. I'll give to you what you need. You've got to trust me. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, which is him, and I will add these things to you. Money, is it bad? No. But it, it's, uh, it, it, it's meant to be treated soberly. It is a tool that is intended to be kept in its proper place. Money does become bad, however, when it becomes a controller or a main pursuit, an idol. No one or nothing can save us except God. Can I tell you something? I don't care what it is. I have been in ministry for a long time. People, especially women, they want to be treasured, man. They want to be treasured well. And you're like, oh, I've got to have, especially the young girls want to be a date with you. Man, they always want to date. I'm like, why do you want to date? What do you think that's going to give you? Well, if this good-looking guy thinks I'm good-looking, then I have worth. Oh, man, you have worth because you're made in the image of God. You have a God who created you who said, I love you and that's enough. Man, and they would protest, protest, but I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be lonely. Can I tell you something? Who here knows the truth? You could be in a committed relationship for 30 years and still feel lonely. Who knows that truth? Man, I've struggled with loneliness my whole life. Looking for my wife to be that thing. She ain't that thing, can't be that thing. But Jesus is like, I'll let you keep doing that, banging your head against the wall until you finally surrender, until you finally give up. Nothing, no one can save us except God. Nothing can give us value, not relationships, not value, not, not family, not success, not wealth. We can easily look to anything apart from God to be a sort of a savior in my life. And can I tell you something? Jesus says, no, I'm your savior. I'm your savior. Second thing, we see the relentless love of God. Jesus is saying, look at my relentless love. God illustrates his commitment to us. I think it is very popular. Now, this is going to be controversial, as if I haven't been controversial enough. Where we say, well, God's love is unconditional. <laughs> That's a lie. 
His love is based on a condition. Jesus must die in my place, cover me with his righteousness, and remove my sin before I can even enter into it. No, no, no. Unconditional love says this. Oh, it's okay. I know you're doing something that's really crazy, but I love you, and I just want you to be happy. How many times have you heard that from somebody? Not you, or in particular. Like, I remember there was this tr- person, and his kid was going in a crazy direction, and the mom was like, wouldn't listen to him. And she's like, I just tell him all the time. I'm like, I love you. I love you no matter what. I just want you to be happy. And I'm like, man, you're happy with them running off a cliff? Jesus is not happy with us running off cliffs. Can I tell you what God's love is? It is committed. That's way better. You know why? Commitment says, I'm yours and you're mine no matter what. And I will always do what is necessary to get you where I want you to be. I'll snatch things out of your hand if I have to. I'll let you fall in order to pick you up. I will even break your leg to put you over my shoulder. That's what the Psalm of the 23rd says. Listen to what it says in John chapter 6, 36, uh, 37 through 39. But everyone my father gives to me will come to me, and all who come to me I will embrace. That means I don't care what you smell like. I don't care what your clothes look like. I don't care what you did. I don't care how many times you fell. If you come to me, I will embrace you. And then he says, I will never turn them away. That doesn't mean you come to Christ and say, well, I'll get my act together. And he's like, well, I'll give you 30 days, but I'm moving on. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says this, as he's looking at the Lord, he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails us, and every morning it is made new. Great, O Lord, is your faithfulness. He describes the love of God as a shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. If you're the partner of God shepherding them sheep, what do you say? As he leaves the 99 different souls going, are you nuts? That sheep ran away from you 50 times. Let it get eaten by a wolf. These 99 are more valuable. And he says, everyone, everyone is valuable. Jesus is telling you that I'm the one who went 38 miles out of my way up an incline of 2,500 feet to meet a woman at a well who insulted me, and I don't even know her names. I told her that she had given her heart away to six men that abandoned her and left her empty, and she was made for me. That's what he said to me. He's like, do you see my arms full? Third, and this is a short one, he calls his beloved to return to him. Read another Lord's words. Love of my life, look deep in my eyes. There you will find what you need. Give me your life, the lust in the life, the pasture of faith. The pasture of faith, I might say, you've been running. You've been running from me. You're my beloved. Lover, I'm yours. Death will not depart us. It's you I die. 
for better or for worse, forever will be my love that unites us as a triune God. I want you to go away with this as we stand up. He's telling you to come to him. He's telling you to come to me. He's like, listen to my words. Hear me. See me. The last thing that I see is this. Is that Jesus loves us so much that he himself is willing to cover our shortcomings. What does it say in the Gospels? Him who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. Listen to what he says to Hosea. The time will come when I will betroth you to me. I will marry you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will marry you to me in faithfulness and you shall know that I am the Lord. You know how he could say that? But because he says this, I'll guarantee it with my love and my faithfulness. So when I look at you, I won't see where you failed or can't meet. I'll make it happen. And when I look at you, I'll see you for my love that I have pinned on you. I want you to think about that as we worship. Lord, I come I confess, bowing here, I fight.